as for myself, stepping into this role, there's been so many things that I've had to shift around who I be believe that I am. And I'm still doing it, by the way. I don't think there's ever a time that that stops happening. It just becomes more and more revealing of the authentic or true self and allowing that to be expressed. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Rife, and this podcast covers lifestyle, travel, mindset, manifestation, and entrepreneurship. Today's podcast is heavy on the spirituality piece. I am talking with the Royal Shaman, otherwise known as Makosi Najezer. And I first heard her on Manifestation Babes podcast, who is Catherine Zankina. Catherine Zankina hired Makosi when she was going through her launch of Rich Babe Academy. And I was hearing how Catherine had her multi-million dollar launch. And she talked about all her secrets, like the energy and who she hired. And it was really fascinating because she said something I did differently was I hired a shaman. And I was like, wow, I've never heard of that, right? You usually hire a coach or a marketing strategist or a brand designer, whatever the case is. So to hear someone hire a shaman, I was like, wow, that's interesting, but it actually does make sense. Like there's such a spiritual piece of business that is totally missing in, in so many areas today that I was like, this is fascinating. So Catherine ended up having Mokosi on her podcast and it was such a deep conversation. She actually ended up having her on, I think three or four more times because there is so much knowledge Mikosi has to share. And I knew I had to have her on my podcast. So you are in for a very special treat to learn all about her journey into shamanism. It's not something you can just get a certification on and go online and become a shaman. It's not something that you just like take a course in. And she really breaks down what it means to be a shaman because I used to have this idea, as I'm sure many of you do, that like shamans live in the mountains and they aren't on social media and they don't, you know, they don't really connect with the outside world. They live, I almost thought of them as like monks just living in monasteries. And here Makosi is like on Instagram and has her online courses and does Instagram TVs and is showing up on podcasts. And it was like this modern shamanism that I have never heard of or really seen until really the last few years. And I was like, this is fascinating because she's breaking down this idea that like, you don't have to be one thing or the other. And that's something I feel like I've learned a lot in the last few years is like, you can live in a world of and you don't have to be spiritual and be mysterious and like not talk to people. I don't know. You know what I mean? There's this idea that like, at least in my head, that spirituality means like being mysterious and quiet and listening to meditation music and doing kundalini yoga and wearing white. And it's like, no, you can be spiritual and listen to rap music. You can be spiritual and be poor. You can be spiritual and be rich. You can be spiritual and be funny. It's like spirituality is not a one size fits all. It's something to me that is like an embodiment. It's, it's who you are. It's, it's something you believe in on a bigger scale. It's not just a watered down definition of like, okay, here's a spirituality checklist and make sure you hit it every day or else you're not spiritual, which is something I used to do. And I can absolutely admit that 
I used to be someone that's like, look, I'm spiritual. I have Oracle cards and I journal and I listen to meditation music and I, I do this and that and the other thing. And I used to really separate the idea of spirituality and like my human experience. Like, oh, I can only be spiritual in the mornings and then the rest of the day I need to be a human and like do business and go on Instagram and send emails. And then I can be spiritual again at night before bed. And the older I get, I'm like, no, spirituality is like woven into my every day. Like every time I log on my computer now, I see an angel number. No fucking joke right now. I just looked at my computer. The time is 1234, 1234. That's crazy to me. I just looked at an Amazon purchase and it has 444 reviews. If any of you know me, 44 is my angel number. And it's like those little things pop up all day. The other day, Nick and I were doing a hike. And as we're hiking, there's thousands of trees in this forest. And we come by a tree and it says N plus C equals heart. I'm like, how is it that of, out of all the trees, we find a tree that says N plus C equals heart? Like that's something that I, I try to look for every day is like that spirituality is like, I always feel supported by angels or the universe or guides by looking at everyday things. And you don't have to separate spirituality from the internet or your job or being online. And I think that's a concept that I'm really learning now is like, it's not a one size fits all. It's not just a, a checklist that you check off every day. It's like how you're embodying your truth and living your life. And I feel like Makosi is a living, breathing example of that. I love how she has taken her role as a shaman and really empowered women, especially in business, to understand the power of wealth and what it means and reframing that. Because even the, using the word wealth still sometimes feels weird. Like, I can't talk about wealth. Like, that's not me. That's not how I grew up. That's not something that I'm involved in. Like wealthy people sit in this room and I sit in the other room. And the more I learn about like integrating yourself in circles you want to be a part of is like wealth is not just a one size fits all definition. Like to me, wealth is generosity and safety and being an overflow where a few years ago, I thought wealth just me meant being like filthy fucking rich. And that was it. And I feel like Makosi is someone that you're going to learn so much from. I mean, she's also someone that really embodies an example of like, you don't need to have 1 million followers to be successful. There is this old paradigm idea that in order to be extremely successful, you have to have like 10,000 followers, right? We just made that up like 10,000 followers. Plus you get the check mark, the swipe up, and then you'll be successful. I have less than 3000 followers and even in January, I had less than 2000 and I've had a really successful year in business. And Mikosi is a multimillionaire. Okay. She has made more than a million dollars in her business and she has less than 10,000 followers or is hovering right around there. And I'm like, thank you. Like finally an example of someone who is showing you don't need the swipe up link. Like that's an excuse. You don't need 10,000 followers. You need to be embodied in your truth, which is something she is absolutely a representation of. You need to know what you're talking about and being able to help people and just putting that message out there. And she does it in such a beautiful way. And, and so, so grounded. That's what I really appreciate about her is that she's very grounded in what she's teaching and breaks down esoteric concepts that might seem like sometimes hard to digest. She takes them and frames them in a way that we can understand as humans, because as humans, we try to rationalize and, and make everything logical, right? So like, well, how could this happen? You need to do this, or this couldn't have happened without this. And she breaks down like, okay, yes. And you can also do things this way and look at it this way. And it just brings a whole different perspective to spirituality. 
So I loved this conversation. I feel like I definitely want to have Makosi on again. She was such a bright light in a time where I felt like I really needed it. Like I said, I first found her actually right when I started my business, probably like last summer. And I was like, wow, she is just so embodied and confident in her truth. And is such an example of like what I want the world to be like women living their truth, being wealthy, sharing their wealth, showing people how to acquire wealth and not being sorry about it. And that's my favorite part is like, she's not sorry about it. And we don't need to feel shame or feel sorry for a success. And I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So like I said, I could keep rambling on and on because I enjoyed her conversation and her presence so much, but be sure to follow her at the Royal Shaman. She has amazing Instagram TVs. Hot tip. If you're someone that doesn't watch Instagram TVs, just put it on your phone and then go like run an errand and listen to it as a podcast. I do that a lot. I just put it up and then I'll like clean the kitchen or do laundry or something so I can listen to it as if I was listening to a podcast. And it's so helpful because I think IGTVs are a place where people expand on their thoughts more than an Instagram story. And Mikosi does that often. So I think you'll really love her Instagram story. Now, if you are someone that's been following me at Chelsea Rife or at my podcast, Non-Expert Opinion Pod, you know that I'm launching a course called Mic Drop in mid-May, and this is all about launching your podcast. This is not just a technical course. So this isn't just going to be like how to edit, how to set up a microphone, how to record. We're getting into like the power of podcasting, the mindset, the interview, and the art of storytelling, because that is so important with podcasting. I think a lot of times people are like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to launch a podcast. Let's go. And then they're like, holy shit, how do I come with ideas? How do I actually sustain this thing? And they get in a very fierce state of like, who's going to listen to this? Who's going to be a guest on my podcast? How am I going to book guests? So we're going to go through this in the podcast course, mic drop. So you're going to learn the technical and the mindset and the art of interviewing and storytelling. I'm going to show you how to book guests how to conduct a compelling interview. It's going to be so much fun. And if you want to actually learn how to interview, I'm also going to do a masterclass called interview like Oprah that will be next week. So interview like Oprah, you don't need to be a podcaster to, to take this class. If you do any type of interviewing for Instagram live or your blog or YouTube or anything, then this, this masterclass would serve you actually really well. So it's going to be next Thursday, April 29th. There's a link in my Instagram bio and it's on my website. So you can just go to chelsearife.com or go to the link in my bio at Chelsea Rife and you will see the link for that. It's just $44 and the class will be recorded if you cannot make it. And I really think you'll find so much value. To give you guys some insight too, these are skills that can be learned. I think people think, oh, I don't have talent. I, you know, I can't podcast, that's not my natural gift. You can learn how to interview people. And so that's something we're gonna go through is like how to actually research your guests, how to come up with compelling questions they haven't heard before how you can make a presence known even when it's online so that your guest feels like, wow, this person really is seeing me and hearing me. And when you can make a connection with your guests like that, it makes the interview so much better and makes them a cheerleader for your podcast. So this is outside of just having an amazing interview. It's making sure that your guest is also someone that feels comfortable and safe and wants to be a cheerleader for you after the interview. 
So again, that masterclass is next Thursday, April 29th, link in bio. I'll also put the link in the show notes. Mic drop is officially open for enrollment and there are payment plans as always. I'm also hosting two partial scholarship spots. So if you are a woman of color or in the AAPI community, I really want you to reach out and we can discuss this scholarship spot. And then if you want to work one-on-one, I actually do have one podcast mentorship spot left. So you can DM me about that, reach out to info at chelseareich.com and we can discuss one-on-one if that makes sense for you. All right, y'all. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I learned so much from Makosi and I can't wait for you to hear her as well. So let's jump in. Okay, everybody, I am here with the Royal Shaman Makosi. I am so fucking excited for this conversation. I just watched one of your IGTVs. We were just talking about it, about spirituality and wealth and money. And I feel like we're going to go a lot of places today, but welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I know that we are going to drop some serious knowledge bombs that's just going to blow everyone's mind and bust open so many beliefs about what is and what isn't possible. I cannot wait. I already told my audience in on IG, I was like, just get out a notebook and pen and get ready to listen to this twice because you're so knowledgeable that I already know it's going to be full of nuggets that people are going to be like, wait, what? So I can't wait to dive in. First and foremost, though, the Royal Shaman. What is a shaman? How did you become one? Tell us that whole story. Oh my gosh. Well, I would say my journey really has been a lifelong exploration. However, I did not come out of the womb talking about, yeah, one day I want to become a shaman. Like that's not when they asked you in kindergarten, what do you want to be when you grow up? Shaman was not on the list. Um, (laughs) I really came to this life remembering who I was the last time that I was here, of course, freaking my whole family out and was what people would probably term a very extrasensory type of kid in that I was really able to know things about people, read people, et cetera, from a very young age. And despite all of that, I really found myself in this position as my, like my mom was a, a single teen mom. I'm also one of two um, biracial kids from my mom and life was really tough in Southern West Virginia. I dealt with a lot of racism. There were a lot of statistics saying like, I should not become anything. And those numbers, those statistics kind of became like my arch nemesis. And so I became this um, high achiever. I really focused on like getting the best grades I could and wanted to strive to be the best. All of that really began to shift whenever I was in college because I was studying pre-med and actually had a fallback plan of business and marketing. And I had my son in my senior year and it was very difficult for me to get pregnant. I, I have quite a few fertility issues. And so I struggled to get pregnant, struggled to stay pregnant, and then had a very traumatic experience having him. So when this little bundle of boy came in my last year, right before I'm supposed to go off to med school, I really started questioning everything because I was like, I just cannot imagine myself leaving him and going to school full-time 
And then eventually a residency where I'm going to be, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. I just couldn't do it. And so this took me on this journey of just following what made sense in the present moment and what was, what was lighting me up. And that ultimately took me into direct sales and I skyrocketed very quickly to about the top 1.5 to 2% of that company within nine months. And if anyone's familiar with direct sales companies, when you're at the top, you're getting, you know, you're getting flued out everywhere. <laughs> you're getting yeah. like mansion trips, Vegas stays, designer bags, bonus checks, and all of that. And I realized that even with all of that, I still was not fulfilled. So here I was, I had spent my entire life chasing what I thought would make me feel fulfilled, make me feel valued according to societal standards. And some insane synchronicities happened <laughs> around that time that just opened up the opportunity for me to explore who I really was outside of all of the conditioning, which ultimately took me on this incredible spiritual journey, initiating into what would be called the African mystery schools for about five years overall. And at the end of that, um, I essentially quote unquote graduated as what is called a Sangoma or a Zulu shaman in South Africa. So that's how I got to this point, but I'm happy to dive into like, what is a shaman? Oh yeah. I would love to hear. And I already know being in the coaching industry and being an entrepreneur, people are going to listen and wonder, oh, can I just like become a shaman and get certified? Is there an online course? Like we need to know the 411 and the training and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, well, no, not just anyone can become a shaman. There's really a calling to become one. And there's also an initiatic process that unfolds, that, that really happens, that essentially prepares you for the ability to be in that role, to be effective, to be safe, and so on and so forth. So in indigenous tribes or traditional ancient systems, every system is a little, it's set up a little bit different, but there are some foundations. Typically you have what's called a calling sickness. And this sickness is like undiagnosable by modern medicine. It can manifest in different ways. And it ultimately guides you to seek the assistance of a spiritualist or a shaman or, 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 right. And typically they will do what's called divination, which is a type of reading, not just to see what's going on in your life, but to, it's really a diagnostic system. It's to diagnose what the root cause is of the physical manifestations happening in your life or the physical blocks happening in your life. And it's through that process that it's uncovered that you are here to be what people would call a shaman. And then you embark on uh, an entire process that includes um, 
an entire lifestyle change. <laughs> so you essentially become someone very different. Um, while you're in initiation, there are certain protocols, certain restrictions that you have. There are certain things that you have to learn, certain practices and tests like you wouldn't believe. And at each stage, depending on what spirits that you have, will determine how many initiations that you have to go through or, or processes or ceremonies. And, and each one is marked at the end by a ceremony. So that's like kind of bringing that spiritual into the physical realm and kind of quote unquote, completing it. And so this process is not cut and dry of like, oh, you know, it's a nine month certification program and da, 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 da. No, you don't move forward until you have developed. And for some people that can be very short for others, it could be a really long time. And the truth is, is that it also carries in it a lot of danger as well. There are people who don't make it through the process and the vast majority of people who are called will resist it because it is so hard. And in these, in, in, in the ancient systems, in the tribes, like nobody wants to have this role. It's not, it's not something you desire to be because your life is no longer yours. Wow. That is very interesting because yeah, you start to think, especially with how many people now there's so much access to information and online things and courses. And, you know, now you can even get your yoga certification online. And so people probably think, oh, it would be like fun to do that. You know, I want to be a spiritualist. I want to be a spiritual mentor. And from what you're saying, this is actually not something that is cut out for everybody and not something unless you feel called that you should be doing. And you mentioned a test. Could you explain one of these tests that you said we wouldn't even believe to give some context into how like transformational this really is? Yeah. One of the tests that you have to pass is um, at least in the lineage that I was initiated into. So let me just be really clear about that. It might not be the same in every lineage, but in the lineage that I initiated into, there is a phase where during your training at any given time, anyone that is present there can hide something either in the house or what they call the yard, which would, you know, be any, anywhere on the land essentially. And it could be at any time of day, you could be doing whatever. And they will say, um, in Zulu, I've hidden something and you, you come running and then you get down and you essentially go into trance. You put yourself into trance and then you have to find this hidden object without giving up, without going to look for it. You have to use your sight, your um, spirits, and so on and so forth in order to find the hidden object. And you don't even know what it is. So you have to find the object first, and then you have to tell them what the item is. And as soon as you do that, then you get to go and retrieve it and you come back. And then it's like this huge celebration because yay, like, you did it, you found it. And so when I was tested, of course I was doing that periodically throughout my training, but the night that I passed, I had to do that three times to solidify like, all right, she's got it. And now she can move on to the next phase. That's not even the final phase. <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. I'm already like, what? (laughs) I could not even imagine. So you also talked about a lifestyle transformation. And again, I'm using my perception from my yoga training of going from eating American food to eating vegan food in Bali and, you know, waking up earlier and meditating for 30 minutes and then training all day and learning philosophy and anatomy. And, And I'm thinking in the context of yoga training, this sounds not similar in terms of lifestyle change. Can you talk about some things like, and the adjustment, like, did you get to this, to this training and be like, I don't know that I'm actually cut out for this. Like, did you want to ever give up? I would actually say that the thing that made the most difference in me being able to make it through training and actually move at the speed that I did was being in a prior initiation for three years essentially initiating myself into the culture. And so I entered into a school that's essentially an ancient Egyptian mystery school run by a Dogon high priest from West Africa, so on and so forth. And so I had already been kind of through a very rigorous, you know, like having to sleep on the floor for so many years and having to do a very lengthy cleansing process twice a day and meditation and connection with spirit twice a day and, and certain dietary restrictions and fasting, et cetera, et cetera, which kind of built me up to be able to execute whenever I entered into this initiation. So there are some things that I think are similar, like having to get up in my initiation, we had to get up at 3 AM every day (laughs) and go outside and bathe in herbal medicine cleanse in those with cold water, can't use warm water outside. So, and I was there in their winter time. So it was very cold (laughs) outside and cold water. (laughs) And then we would not be able to sleep for the entire day after that point. There were also other challenges during that time. Like we, you know, we walk on our knees, not standing. There were also some, some foods that we were not allowed to eat, like no sugar, no dairy, no egg, so on and so forth. (laughs) Certain animal parts that we couldn't eat. I mean, there's just like so, so many. And then of course, just cultural things that are very difficult for the Western, like for example, humility, (laughs) bowing to your elders, like literally getting on your, on your knees, bowing your head to elders, not staring people in the eye, not talking back, uh, so on and so forth. Those things are really, really difficult for the Western mind to kind of wrap their head around why they would even do that. Yeah. I'm even thinking when you mentioned walking on your knees, like what would be the the context for doing that to test physical strength? Was there, was that a cultural thing? There's multiple, multiple reasons. One is in the process through experience, you're humbling yourself in front of spirit. So yes, there are physical people around, but the context of that is that you are essentially putting yourself physically (laughs) lower than spirit. And a lot of even the physical difficulties are to number one, of course, toughen you. You, cause you come out of the other side, like I can take anything, <laughs> I can do anything. And also many of the things that we 
learn actually help us to understand that we are not our body, that we are spirit first, and that the body will follow what spirit calls for us to do. But most of us are so programmed that we have all of these limits. And in some of the insane things that we do, some that are even secret, I can't even speak about that people would say is not even really humanly possible. We actually are able to do because we learn that we are spirit first. The body will tell you, I can't do that. That's not possible. Da, 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 da. And then spirit will show you actually, no, some of our ceremonies, we stay up for days and we're dancing hard and moving and not sleeping and da, 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 da. And somehow we're able to do that. Well, that's because spirit, our spirits are so powerful. And when I say our, I don't mean our as in shamans. <laughs> I mean, all of us have that ability. That is so helpful to know and to hear that validation that, that we all have that ability. Because in this spiritual message that's coming out right now, there seems to be a big divide of like, you're spiritual, intuitive, and you can channel or you're not. And it's very extreme. And so people are like, who, why don't I have these superpowers? Why don't I channel or download? Or why can't I think? And it's actually, I think we all can do it, but we've been so conditioned and suppressed to not do any of these things that that's why it's all considered woo woo and not real and, and all these things. So I'm curious, you went from a very Western modern culture of the direct sales and the money and the promotions to almost the total opposite spectrum. What was it like coming out of that? Were you like, who am I? Like, what am I doing now? Like, tell us about that process. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think, well, number one, everyone does have extrasensory capacity. I liken it to all of us are able to run, right? Um, unless barring, you know, a, maybe a disability or um, an injury of some sort, et cetera, et cetera most of us could run, right? But most of us are not Olympic level athletes, right? Like there's there's a certain talent that that person comes with. And even with the talent, if they don't actually practice it and devote themselves to developing it, then that talent, it's still there, but it's just like this latent potential. We could also use the same thing when we're talking about our ability to speak, right? Most of us have an ability to speak, not everyone, but most of us have an ability to speak. However, not all of us are quote unquote speakers or quote unquote singers, <laughs> right? We can all sing, but most of us are not like Whitney Houston level singers. There's a talent there, but then also there's a cultivation of that talent that then lends itself to excellence and genius. Same thing as when we're talking about the spiritual. As for myself, stepping into this role, there's been so many things that I've had to shift around who I be believe that I am. And I'm still doing it, by the way. I don't think there's ever a time that that stops happening. It just becomes more and more revealing of the authentic or true self and allowing that to be expressed. So stepping into this has felt more like a remembering of, okay, actually as a little girl, I was 
obsessed with all things ancient spirituality and da 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 ancient Egypt in particular, and picked up tarot at like 12, started reading people intuitively and so on and so forth. But I allowed other people's perspectives, opinions, ideas, what I even thought was possible to shape who I was. So even stepping into my role as a shaman, there's been challenges around everyone thinks a shaman is someone who gives out ayahuasca <laughs> in the jungle, right? They automatically associate a shaman with plant medicine. And I had to step out of like, wait a minute, that's actually not my role here. And that evolution has had to happen again and again and again, as I've really stepped into this role of my calling is what in the Zulu they would call the Sanusi, which is essentially um, a high priest or an oracle, but on a societal level, serving as advisor to leadership, but also guiding and crafting um, culture and environment and revealing that which has been hidden and showing, um, bridging the gaps for people on a very big scale, not just working with people one-to-one. -one. And after you, you did the training and like you said, you were realizing I'm not a shaman that's doing plant medicine in the forest. Did you have a plan? Were you like, okay, I, I think I'm going to help people, um, in a, in an online setting, or I'm going to help women. Like how did you then develop your business to what it is now? Yeah, this has been for sure an unfolding, but I've been very blessed because in the process we do go through divination. And I also am lucky enough to get vision of what's unfolding, what's, what's coming. Um, so during, even before I graduated, I knew that there were certain things that I would be doing. Like I know that there's some books that are going to be coming out of me soon. I knew that I would be um, traveling all over the world and I knew that I would be um, world renowned. And that was not coming from me. That was also as part of the process, you go and you visit other spiritualists, other, um, other shamans and trance workers, et cetera, et cetera. And they tell you about yourself a little bit sometimes. And all of that, of course, has just been a waiting for the timing, stepping into it and allowing myself to be guided and not attached to what I think it should be at any given moment. Like even just a couple of days ago, I've created a higher, a, a very elite level mastermind that's kind of taking the place of most of my one-on-one -on -one work. And I was like, oh, I'm going to just, you know, make sense to just open this up twice a year that will build up, you know, a wait list and da, 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 da. And then spirit was like, nope, we want you to keep this open all year round because we're going to be bringing you people in their right timing. Not when your mind says, oh, oh, all right, it's April. Now you can open the doors. It's not supposed to be that way for it to work to its maximum potential. And so again, my life is not my own. I follow the direction of, of spirit in those things, even though I'm like, eh, okay. <laughs> what does it feel like when you, when you get those messages? Is it, you said vision, is it a, 
Is it anything in your body? Do you hear anything? Like, I would love to hear about that experience. Oh yeah. For me. And I would say that depending on the person, it can come through different ways. So it will also come from me. Most of it will come through vision. It could come through. I have very specific visions during naps. All of a sudden I will, I will be so energetic. All of a sudden it'll be like, no, you have to go to sleep. You can't do anything but sleep right now. And during that, I will get just like the whole blueprint of what's coming, what's unfolding. Sometimes it will be a voice literally saying things to me. Sometimes it will be um, a sensation in different areas in my body. It could be emotion. It could be um, crying and yawning. That's another spirit that will manifest. I mean, synchronicities. There's so many different ways that it can come through. Multiple ways. It's amazing. Something that I know pops up a lot with mediums, with shamans, with tarot, anything in this spiritual world, people start to think that you're a fortune teller. And you actually just mentioned you you can see things. And I think people then go to certain readings. And I would love for you to also differentiate the difference between a, a shaman and a medium. But they go to these readings and they're like, oh, you know, they said I was going to have a new career in October. It's October. I don't have a new career. This world is fake. How do you how do you tell people what you actually do without them thinking you're a fortune teller? And what would you say to someone that is using mediums and spiritual tools as, you know, very hard and fast information that is supposed to reveal their future. I think a lot of that just comes from people not understanding the multidimensional nature of reality, but there are literally infinite possibilities at any given moment. And so when someone like myself or an intuitive or a psychic, et cetera, sees something coming down the pike way, all they are seeing is the most likely scenario at that moment. However, sometimes just the sheer act of telling someone can influence whether that comes into fruition or not. And it's different for each person. There are some people who, um, if you tell them this is coming down the, the pike way for you, they will keep doing the things that will get them to that place. Then there are other people who, if you tell them that, they will be like, oh, all right, I can relax now. And they will, they, then they won't make the decisions or take the actions, et cetera, that would result in that. So I'm very, very careful and very particular about how much I share and when I share it and how I share it. This is literally what I spend most of my time examining the psychology of people and how to best serve them in a way that does that they don't block. Because <laughs> most of my work is just getting people to get out of their own way. I swear that's almost all it is. Also, a lot of people use us, <laughs> meaning readers, mediums, etc., as band-aids, scapegoats, quick fix spirituality. <laughs> That's really what they use us for sometimes. And I am very, some would say I'm a little hardcore about it, 
but I am very adamant that I'm not here. I'm not here for it. And so all of my programs are crafted around having people step into their own sovereignty, becoming the, the creator of their own life. And there are a lot of people that really hate that. They get really annoyed. Oh, you're not, you're not, you're not just going to tell me what my gifts are, Makosi? Nope. Because then I own, then I'm essentially your savior or your guru or God to you. And I want you to be that in your own life. I don't want that. <laughs> a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be your God. Yeah. I either. do not want to be your God. Thanks. No. That yeah. That's a big task. I would love to talk about a specific example around this. And I found you from Catherine Zankina's podcast and she was mentioning how she was plateauing around like a $600,000 launch. And when she started working with you, she had over a million dollar launch. Now people hear that and they must think, oh, Makosi is like a business coach and shaman, like a business shaman. And maybe she gave Catherine a new strategy or funnel or marketing, or maybe she just had her try a new routine in the morning. And I'm curious, what did you help her with? Or what, what did you provide her with that she could help herself to really break that plateau? First of all, let me say it once and for all, Catherine Zankina does not need a strategy from Makosi. Okay. She had a great strategy before I did absolutely nothing with her strategy or like, oh, you should do this with your team and so on and so forth. <laughs> None of that happened with Catherine and really with all of my clients. What we do is understand that every single person is a holistic being. So most people get hyper-focused on, oh, my launch is not growing. So I need to fix something around the launch. However, every aspect of your life is tied together energetically. And so with our clients, what we're doing is examining, okay, what's popping up in your experience? Because that's communicating things to you about how harmonized your spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional bodies are. So if you, for example, have an energy drain in the area of, let's say, uh, your your marriage or your partnership, right? That is going to show up somehow, some way over here in your business, or maybe it's going to show up in your fitness or, or, or. And so it becomes this exploration and tweaking. And in, in this specific case, she didn't need much tweaking because she didn't have, uh, she was operating already in a very great neutral position about her launches, which definitely helps and makes it so much easier. Then it just becomes about breaking free from your own limitations around who you think you have to be versus allowing yourself to be fully expressed in everything. The minute that she started to allow herself to follow that, um, that, that pull versus trying to push, 
even though they were very, they could seem very small, they had obviously very massive results for her. I love that. And it's something I've been exploring too, is the massive results you're talking about just from baby steps. A lot of people overcomplicate it and they want to, you've talked about this, the overnight success, the quick fix and a quick hit. And then they're going to just come into a million dollars instead of like just looking at themselves, like you said, and cleaning up their own energetic space, mentally, physically, everywhere. And I'm curious in your own business, you've been talking about how you made seven figures, which is amazing. Congratulations. And you don't even take a six figure salary. And so I really want to explore this conversation of money and business and spirituality. First of all, how did you start your business? And then when was the switch to making this type of money? Because people hear that and they're like, I think you mentioned you've had six figure months and that's hard for a lot of people to conceptualize. So I would love to walk through the process of like, what was Mikosi's first business idea? And then how did it scale to what it is now? And then we'll get into like the spirituality and that whole conversation around money. There have been many iterations of my business in different forms. I actually opened it as cultivating causes, which was doing like fundraising and marketing for small nonprofits, small businesses, etc. And I opened that in, I was actually still in initiation. So probably 2016, 2017, somewhere around there. I did try and morph it into really the mindful marketing space is what I called it. And yeah, that was mostly a dud. dud. I I did that for some years and it was a dud. Um, So of course it did at least provide me with enough. And I say enough, it was like, you know, a thousand to $2,000 a month in my business. And it allowed me at least the flexibility to stay in my initiation process and to help fund that because PS, it was expensive. I spent well over six figures initiating. (laughs) <laughs> just in case anyone is like, yeah, I'm going to go run and, and initiate. And yeah, I was well over six figures doing that with no rhyme or reason of like, oh yeah, I'm going to do something with this. Then it really kind of shifted. So in my, while I was training, part of it is to do like supervised divination, supervised sessions and da, 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 da. Of course, I was not taking money for those. Um, <laughs> and then when I came back, I just started by doing one-on-one readings, one-on-one sessions with people. So that was um, in September of 2018 when I returned. So probably end of September, beginning of October, I started doing those very inexpensively. And then it kind of morphed in December of that year. I really just saw this need for teaching and understanding, et cetera. So I launched my first group program also very inexpensive. Um, (laughs) Very, very inexpensive, like $97 a month for that program. Learned the hard way. Don't do that. Um, (laughs) But I launched that and that gave me a really great, like in-depth, hands-on experience of what is it that people are really struggling with? And also this was my first foray into what existed because I was not into new age spirituality. I only started discovering quote unquote new age spirituality in 2019. 
I literally just learned about The Secret. I just learned about Abraham Hicks and Wayne Dyer and Bob Proctor, like all of that in 2019. And this was after I had been in initiation into the ancient mysteries already for like five years, four or five years by that point. (laughs) So it was only then that I started to understand this disconnect between authentic ancient spirituality and how that has been kind of misconstrued and brought through in the Western mind. And so that was when I started to see like, I can serve this role of bridging because there's a paradigm. There's a different paradigm or a different way of seeing the world that's actually preventing people from fully understanding, but also fully experiencing the benefits of what our, our ancestors were we're teaching and sharing and passing down. That paradigm is everything. That's really what I focus on and what I bring through is how to see the world in a different way that by itself just resolves so many societal issues. So the business 2018 launched the group program in December, 2018. 2019, I was just in it, taking courses, learning, you know, expanding my audience very small, (laughs) very, very small. It was only really, um, I did start increasing the price of that program and shifting who I was talking to, but it really wasn't until, of course, COVID, (laughs) COVID happened. And when COVID happened, although I am deeply empathetic and also sympathetic for the situation. I also knew that there was a huge opportunity and I was amped about the opportunity because I had seen that something to this effect, not exactly this, but something to this effect was coming and that that would be my door opening for opportunity. Um, So when everything started happening with George Floyd, all of a sudden, many people wanted to have a woman, a woman of color, <laughs> and someone who could speak to societal issues, the spiritual aspects, so on and so forth. That just opened the door for me to have so many podcast interviews. And even though there was some part of me that really resisted that because I felt like I was being used as like a token, um, <laughs> a token Black person, I was like, you know what though? Um, and I had a friend I had a conversation with and she was like, no, like you deserve to be on this stage. It's just that people maybe weren't aware or open or really ready. And now the timing is for you to just step into your, like, this is who you are. It should have happened a long time ago. So I did. And just one thing led to another, one podcast after another, which then ultimately led to, you know, getting a few key clients, because at this point I realized that really who I was here to work with are elite level leaders, because I can have a greater impact by assisting them to shift their paradigm. That paradigm then shifts how they do business, affecting their, their employees, their clients, their audiences that opened the, the door. And so 
all of that really happened probably June, July, August. And then of course, Catherine started working with me and things really took off from there because I know her audience and I'm so grateful to her for sharing, being just very open and transparent with her audience. And there's been a lot of alignment as it relates to her audience and other opportunities have come. I also got a PR and media agency around that same time. And everything really just started blowing up in the past, I would say only six months. Like, and this quarter by itself, I just checked with my CFO and it's like, we've generated over $900,000 in Oof. revenue for just the first quarter. And my goal was like 200. <laughs> Wow. And you are very open and transparent on your Instagram, which I so appreciate. And you brought up a topic that I was like, finally, someone is bringing it up that when someone says they have a $10,000 launch, that does not mean in their Chase checking account, $10,000 is sitting there and now they're going to go spend it and then continue on with life. They actually have business expenses. They have people to pay. They have freelancers. Also, if you're thinking about future wealth, you probably don't want to blow that on, you know, a shopping spree. Of course, you want to enjoy yourself, but you really opened up about this. And I would love to dive into it deeper. You mentioned how you hit seven figures, but you don't even take a six figure salary. Can you walk us through that thought process and why you don't actually do that or you didn't do that at one point? Yeah. P.S. I do plan on it very <laughs> soon. It's just um, for me, it was order of operations in a way that aligned with what actually feels best to me. I know that I do not want to have a multiple seven figure. Like it's obvious there's, I'm going to have a multiple seven figure business this year. That's kind of a given. I did not want to be running a multiple seven figure business by myself. Right. <laughs> Like that does not sound good to me. Also, the other piece is that I wanted to feel safe and secure bringing on team and it not having to be this like scary, my heart bursting out of my chest every single time I have to do payroll. No, I wanted to have at least six figures sitting in the bank because the truth of the matter is um, women do not get a lot of funding. And also women of color get very little funding. It's almost impossible <laughs> at this point. Not that we can't, but I just wasn't even wasting my energy on that. I was like, I will just create my own safety net. I don't have family or um, really anyone that can be that financial safety net if I needed it. So I was just like, I'll just create my own damn safety net. <laughs> so I focused on first I mean, paying myself enough for myself, like for me to live, of course, and still get my eyebrows done because that's very <laughs> important. <laughs> very important with these eyebrows. Gotta look good. Um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but I wanted to have that safety and security. And then I also wanted to be able to bring people on and have pieces in place that would support us growing. So I invested in certain um, projects that I knew would be scalable, would create some leverage, 
would bring in audience, et cetera, before I fully committed to like, I'm going to have full-time team, da, 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 da. So a lot of what I've been focused on has just been financially investing in, in team, in support, in, um, certain, you know, systems, processes, software, et cetera, to make sure that the foundation is there. This, I call it the scaffolding so that now we literally just have to open ourselves to receive it. And that's now where we are, which is so exciting. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. I've got, I got goosebumps because it's, it's true. You built the foundation, a solid one. So now things can just build on top instead of a shaky, you know, house of cards where things are just flopping around all the time and you don't know where things are. I think a lot of new entrepreneurs have this really big fear in the beginning of investing in those systems. Like no one wants to pay for the $100 membership pop platform and an ongoing support team. And they want to do everything themselves to save a few bucks. Did you have that experience in the beginning, which prompted this? Or did you just know off the bat, like, no, I need a team? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to have at least an assistant. So I've had like an intern or a VA or, or some small help here or there. Um, everything really changed for me. I remember listening to um, Chris Harder's podcast and he was talking about what your value, quote unquote, dollar amount is per hour based off of where you see yourself in, let's say the next year and how if you are not investing in support that you can get less for that, that then that's an hour that you didn't spend making that. That shifted everything for me. So I sat down and calculated. And of course, at first it was like, if I'm being very honest, last year, I don't even think I total hit. Let me not, let me not give any, any specific numbers, but we've had well over 10 X growth in the past six months alone. And so whenever I sat down and calculated based off of just like 300,000 a year, <laughs> that's where I was like, Ooh, that would be amazing. If I had a $300,000 a year business, I realized I was like, I could get someone and actually pay them really well for so much less than this and be able to create that money in my business. Cause it would free me up to be in what doing what I do best. And so this has been a process of, okay, what are the first things that are not my, not my jam, not my genius, where it takes me 10 times longer to do it. And so much resistance and energy drain to do those things. How can I get those off of my plate first? And now it's just been like a whittling down of now more and more just being in my genius. So helpful. There was a story in um, The Big Leap where he talks about this, where he mentioned someone was trying to fix a printer to save a few bucks, but they ended up spending like 13 hours fixing the printer instead of just paying someone $100 for an hour that they could have used those 13 hours to actually be making money. And when he framed it that way, yeah, it's like that one sentence you hear it, you're like, oh, duh, like just because I can do something doesn't mean I should. Like I can edit my podcast, but it takes me like five hours. Why don't I outsource it to someone so the other four hours I can do something better with my time? And it seems like you really, you play the long game, which you've talked about too. Can you talk about, 
did you ever have that switch to, or did you know off the bat, I need to think of my legacy and future wealth, not just I'm here to have a six figure launch and then I'm going to, you know, blow it on a, a shopping spree. Like a lot of people do do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I've always known since I at least came out of, came out of initiation, I've known that I'm here to play the long game. And so I do talk about, I make decisions like from my deathbed, essentially. I put myself on my deathbed and I look back at, at this moment and this decision that I'm making. Did I play small? Did I, <laughs> and what, what would have been, what would be the, the results and the ripple effect of that? I'm like, I'm here to play full out, but I'm also not here to just, just do the quick thing that makes me the quick buck at all, just like riding trends, just because um, I care more about going deep with a few people and really having impact in that way and allowing it to ripple, like I said before, through their, their lives, like that shows up in their relationships with their families and their kids and their business and their friendships and da 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 versus oh, I need to be helping everyone and everyone needs to know my name and da, 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 da. If that comes, cool. And also not cool at the same time, because part of me does honestly resist that. <laughs> People being up in my private life. But I really feel like I want to create this magical world, this, this movement, this lifestyle, this culture that I invite people in and it's so um, all encompassing that then they just want to stay a part of it. And we then I, I call it like I want to create like my womb Avengers. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Where love you're just that. like out here creating a very different society, starting with ourselves. I love that. I have one final question, and I know this is one of the biggest questions that comes up with spirituality. Is it spiritual to be rich? Yes. Can you expand on that? And also not. Oh, <laughs> let's hear it all. Yes. So you know that I am both and, and uh, there's a lot of people who think that if I become rich, that automatically makes me a good person or a more spiritual person and so on and so forth. No, there are definitely rich people out there that are not. And there are rich people who are most certainly very conscious and, and uh, you know, light filled beings on the other side of the quote unquote money spectrum. There are also amazingly beautiful spiritual people with no money. And there also are <laughs> some not so great people who also have no money. So to me, money is just truly a magnifier. It's just an energy. It's just a, a tool that we can use for, I don't want to say good or bad, but we can use to create 
essentially, to create more of blank. So I know that one of the things people do have struggled with a lot is this idea that money puts you, makes you more powerful or makes you more important and so on and so forth. You are important because you exist. You are just as important as uh, the president or as Kanye West now. <laughs> and also you are as not important <laughs> as what you think is not important. Like, you know, a pebble or whatever. It's, it's also important and not important at the same time. One of the most freeing things for me that I actually want to start talking about more is this concept of being nobody and how much freedom there is in being nobody. Because now if you're nobody, then you can just fully be expressed and you don't put so much attachment, pressure, and meaning on, oh, if I have a partner, I'm better. If I don't have a partner, I'm better. Or if I'm a, a woman, I'm better. Or if I'm a man, or if I'm trans, or all of these things that ultimately keep us imprisoned. So you are not special. <laughs> and also you are unique. And we all are that. We're all unique in our own ways, which also makes us not special. I love that. You definitely have to talk about that more because that's <laughs> it. Like the, we're so controlled and and run by the ego. And especially if you're in a coaching role or some type of role where people are looking up to you, some people take that further and put themselves on a pedestal. Like, oh, it's my little group of people and we're in this together and I'm the leader. And it's like, no, we're all the same. It's such an interesting concept. I can't wait for you to expand on that more. It's going to be very helpful. Oh, yes. I'm sure some people will be coming at me with pitchforks. <laughs> How dare you tell me I'm not special? <laughs> I know. I'm I know. And you're going to be ready. You're like, who cares? I've been through shaman initiation. Your comments don't mean shit. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> I love that. Well, my final question that I ask all my guests is this podcast is called In My Non-Expert Opinion. So if you were not doing shamanism or being a shaman and doing what you're doing now, is there something you're not an expert in that you wish you were? On that list of who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do when I grew up, which by the way, can still happen even as a shaman. Um, the top thing on there was, was to be an author. I've always loved books and um, <laughs> I'm always getting people asking me about so many of the topics I talk about. They're like, where can I find those books? I'm like, I didn't get this from any book. I can't point you to a book. So it's almost like I have to create that book. I am not an expert writer. I'm really not a writer at all. And so I have been exploring ways to like vocally transcribe or, or record by voice and have it transcribed. And that may be coming soon, but that is for sure what I would be doing. I love that. This is such a timely conversation. Just yesterday, I talked to a woman who's writing a book and we talked about the process of writing a book because I was like, it just seems so overwhelming. And I don't even know where you would start. And she took us from like book proposal to chapter outlines to everything. 
And I was like, I really feel like people are starting to realize like you can write a book. You can, you just said, maybe you're not a writer, but you figured out a way that could work for you. So I cannot wait to read it. We're going to stay tuned for the the co-seed transcription, like the book, the book of knowledge that we've been waiting for. Because like you said, you're not getting this from books. This is just from you. Amazing. Well, I know people are going to be dying to work with you and reach out and they want to probably take your program. So can you let us know what's currently open? Are you running any courses or anything right now? And how can people find you? Absolutely. So I am the Royal Shaman pretty much everywhere. Um, I live mostly on Instagram these days, but you can also visit my website, theroyalshaman.com. And there you can find, um, I always keep my Activate Your Intuition course, which is a self-paced on-demand course you can do on your own time. Um, That is available on the website. And also if somebody wants to work in a more intimate container um, with myself or with my, with my guides that I've also um, trained in my methodologies, um, they can book a complimentary clarity call um, with one of our enrollment team and see what is in alignment for them. Love that. This is such an amazing conversation. Like I said, everybody, you're going to want to listen back and take notes because I learned so much. And I really thank you so much for your time, Mikosi. I love this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I knew there was going to be some good (laughs) stuff to pop up. (laughs) Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you found value, you were inspired, educated, or entertained, please leave a review. They help so much with spreading the word of this podcast. I like to consider reviews the currency of podcasting. That's what keeps us going. That is a podcaster's love languages reviews. And if you leave a review, I will actually send you a free guided meditation. So just take a screenshot before you submit it because iTunes takes a bit to actually get it live. So I want to make sure that you take a screenshot before you submit and then send it to me info at chelsearipe.com or hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. And I will send you a free guided meditation. It's a five minute one, very simple and beautiful to start your morning with or end your evening with as a thank you for writing a review and make sure to tag myself and Mikosi at the Royal Shaman share on your Instagram stories. Let us know what your favorite part was. And I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you're interested in launching your own podcast, be sure to check out mic drop. That's the podcast course that is launching mid May where you'll learn everything about podcasting, the backend setup, storytelling, booking guests, creating cover art. This really is an all-encompassing podcast course. And we start mid-May. You'll get modules, live calls, checklists. It really is everything you need to launch your own podcast. The Interview Like Oprah Masterclass will be Thursday, April 29th. You can also find the link in my show notes. And again, you do not need to be a podcaster to take this class. This is if you want to learn how to interview in general. And I'm sharing all my knowledge and background from broadcast journalism, sports reporting, hosting. I'm giving it to you all in this masterclass. And if you want to work one-on-one, I do have one spot left for podcast mentorship, and that will be closing at the end of the month. So if you want to work together one-on-one for your own podcast, let me know. But otherwise, that's it on my end, and I will see you all next week.